Congratulations. You made it to the exfil. You can sit back and relax, unpack your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTV Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you're brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us for that journey, and it is going to be a journey. We're kind of starting a new one today, not sure where it's going to take us, but, uh, This is going to be the beginning of a series that we've talked about, and we're going to start with what uh, Ronald's about to tell us about. So what do we got this week, man? This week, we're diving into the survey. I'm really excited to get into this. It's really interesting how and why we set out to do this in the first place. Thank you to everyone who responded to the survey. Honestly, we had way more responses than we were ever thinking we would get, which just means we got a really good idea and cross-section from everybody in the Excel community. And frankly, I think Battlestate would be a little jealous if they knew what we know now. I'm excited to get into it this week. So tell us about it, Trigger. What do we got? Yeah, we are going to dive right in because we don't have any announcements for hideout keeping this week. Uh, Been a really fun week to catch up and and stay connected in Discord, but nothing new and exciting going on. So we're going to jump right into it. And yeah, man, how was your how was your week in Tarkov? Let's do that before we jump right into survey stuff. So this week uh, was kind of slow. We definitely hit a point in the wipe cycle where playing without a goal is a little bit more challenging to want to log in every single day, having that purpose where you really want to dive in and get into like, okay, I've got to get to level 40 for me. I want to get this trader unlocked. I've got quests or tasks, whatever that I need to get done. I just don't really have that anymore. I've hit my wipe goals. And because of that, it's kind of a kind of a lull. Now, I will admit, I I did play a lot to get to level forty. I kind of burnt myself out a little bit, so I took it a little bit easier this week. Only did I think two or three sessions, and they were very short. Just logged in to get my bitcoins uh, to keep up my economy, and that's really about it. So I'm still level forty, still enjoying that, but on a limited basis. So how about you? Yeah, I actually, when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, what did I do in Tarkov this week? And this is going to be a weird answer for me. And I actually didn't launch Tarkov a single time this week. And part of it is out of busyness. Part of it was opportunities in other games. Uh, I had some really cool opportunity with some Twitch and PUBG partners to play some PUBG, which was neat. And then just didn't really like, kind of like you said, right? It's not a bad thing. I'm not in a bad spot with Tarkov, but I didn't really have a reason to log in because my reason for logging in the last few weeks, probably the last month or so after I kind of finished my wipe goals, was to do whatever I could to help you. It was very, very rewarding to be on when you hit 40. That was a really cool experience. And then after that, I think we both... I guess I'm, I might be projecting here, but I was very happy to take a break from Tarkov this week. I didn't feel like I needed to log in to collect Bitcoin. I, I'm just really good with a break right now. So that yeah, nothing, nothing really uh, in Tarkov. I did consume a lot of Tarkov content. I watched a lot of videos from other creators. I watched the Tarkov podcast from last week. I watched a couple of YouTube videos and just learned some stuff about the game, but I uh, wasn't in-game a whole lot. But I sure talked about it a lot, too, because I spent a whole heck of a lot of time in Discord conversations helping people. I was DMing back and forth with a couple people who are brand new to the game, and I find about as much enjoyment as helping someone brand new learn about the game as I do playing it, which is why we do this. So 
had some just great Tarkov moments last week, but not in game. So I guess I feel like that's weird. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't really care because I had a great, great week, honestly, taking a little break and still being engaged. So that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with taking a break in any video game, especially in one as intense as Tarkov. And since it's seasonal, it's not persistent. You do find a natural lull in the reason or motivation to play the game. That's a little hint and a little teaser into some of the things we're going to get into. But let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let's talk about the survey because I find this survey fascinating. I'm not even sure really how to kick this off or even explain the emotion behind it. We're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best to try and explain it. But I really find it fascinating. And I honestly can't wait to talk about it. I guess I want to say this for those that aren't aware of the survey or you're listening to this episode well after the episode was recorded. Maybe you found the show later. Maybe you took a break from the show and you're just getting back to it. We sent out a survey to the Xville listeners with 19 questions. We left the survey open for a week. Some of it was multiple choice. Some of it was a short answer, long answer. Some was choose all that apply to you. The questions were about gameplay basics with a couple that were deeper. So we asked about stash value. Do you play solo versus squads? What do you want to get better at? How many hours per week do you play? And then we had some free answer sections like what are you going to do with the rest of the wipe? What do you think Tarkov needs to do to make this game better? As I say all of that, the most interesting part is we kind of just planned on going over the results, and then doing some game design app episodes after that. Because we met all of these goals recently, it felt like the right time to talk game design. And then these survey results just kind of started to roll in, and it became really clear really quick that our expectations were going to get blown out of the water. And while some of our predictions were accurate, some of them were not even in the right ballpark. I mean, we just were completely wrong on some of the predictions that Ronald and I kind of had between us. And we'll talk about some of that. And we started asking questions like, can you believe that? Like, why do you think that is? How is that possible? Does Battlestate look at data like this? And I, and I just kind of ultimately realized that the survey really caused me to take a good look at the different systems in the game. And not just how many different systems there are, but how deep some of the systems are, how deep some of the systems are not, so how shallow they are, and the diversity, the spread, the wide array of answers that we got just kind of blew my mind. I haven't let Ronald talk about this yet, but we're going to digest the data in chunks over these next few weeks because there's no way that we're going to get into some of the data on these questions and not not really expand on it, because some of it is just absolutely awesome. Before we jump into the very first one we want to talk about, which is the Xville community's stash value, I wanted to ask you, like, what were your initial feelings about the survey results? Did anything like blow your mind, challenge you, shock you? I mean, what, what did this survey leave you with? Well, first of all, the biggest thing is thank you to everyone and the number of people who took time to fill out all 19 questions. We really got thoroughly filled out surveys. Really, nobody mailed it in. The answers are paragraphs of tome in the freeform sections. You can tell that people really were interested in answering the questions honestly. And even though it was an anonymous survey, there was a section there that if you wanted to leave your name as who it was filling out in the end, and most of you did. And I just think that's cool. I think that shows that our community is pretty strong and that we really want to talk about the game and really learn more about the game. So I was kind of surprised at the thoroughness. I mean, we all fill out surveys and sometimes we do a good job and sometimes we don't, but that was awesome. I think the average Tarkov player, what we kind of came away with digesting the whole data, and I won't give away too much here, I think I was a little surprised by that, and I look forward to relating that to my own kind of expectations based upon how the community or how video game communities in general make you feel. And I look forward to getting into that in each section that we go over, because I think it's an important point to make. The average Tarkov player definitely is interesting. 
I think the most impactful thing probably for both of us, and you can speak to this too if you'd like, but the most impactful thing was some of the comments, and we're talking more than a few, were about how 2020, we all know, was a crazy year, but how impactful on a personal level the relationships that you have built in the Xville community have been playing the game you know, in-game and outside of game. And there was some stories in there about people who are just, you know, having a rough time or, you know, just not, you know, dealing with 2020 and all the challenges that it had and how playing Tarkov and hanging out with people in the Exo community really made that time go a little bit easier. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a video game. We're talking about something we all enjoy. But the people aspect of it really was impactful. And I just think that is very cool because to us, that is the most important thing, right? We do this because we want to have a positive community, want to have a community that is a great place to spend your free time and where you can enjoy hanging out with other like-minded people. And just reading some of those stories was incredible. And obviously, we're going to keep those anonymous. We're not going to talk about that because some of them are very personal. It's just cool. And I wanted to just say that for me, it's funny that the most impactful thing was that and not necessarily a particular stat or a particular level of something or whatever. It's just cool and reinforces the drive to want to do this and, and keep doing this, which we're going to keep doing this. So that's what I found. I mean, wh- what did you think? Yeah, I can't echo that enough. I mean, that's a very loaded and really cool part of gaming for me to come from somebody who, and this is me, I'm talking about me here. You know, I'm somebody that, I mean, I've gamed my entire life. And a lot of times, you know, I was a solo guy in multiplayer grinding and doing whatever. But I always had gaming as a outlet. It was a release. It was somewhere that I could just go be, right? And meet people and do that. And you don't really think about that when you're building a community, right? Because community is thrown around in the gaming world so much that it almost doesn't have any value, right? Because if you go look at, how to make a YouTube channel, how to grow a Twitch channel, how to do a Facebook streaming channel. Everyone says, well, you got to focus on the community. You've got to do this, that, that. And it, it almost cheapens the word. And for me, I've always looked at gaming as a community that has such a diverse and wide reaching thing that brings people together that may not otherwise have talked may not agree on 95% of things, but the 5% of things that they agree on in the gaming world match up so closely that they become best friends. And reading some of the comments, some of the, I'm not kidding, Ronald is not kidding. There were essays in some of these freeform sections. We're talking like paragraph upon paragraph, explaining some of the data, explaining some of the connections they've made, explaining some of the sub-communities that have formed as a result of our podcast. Impactful doesn't begin to describe it. You scratch the surface and I'm digging at that scab a little bit, but it's not even close to explaining how learning about those things as a result of you and I getting on here and talking for a couple hours every week and then the hours that go go into editing it every week. But we don't talk about that anymore. (laughs) It's just just life for us now. But I, I just can't say enough that I agree about that. Some of those comments truly just resonate with what we wanted out of a community because we believe in that word. We wanted to be different. And we we believe in just how deep the word community can be. It just gave me a deep sense of appreciation in what has been created as a result of us talking for a couple hours a week. So uh, just a sincere thank you for the honest opinions, the time that was put into that. You know, we talked ahead of time, like who's going to spend time filling out this survey? An overwhelming amount of data came to us. And... (laughs) It's, we got everything, man. I totally agree with you, man. This is super, super fun. I never imagined that after over a year of doing this, we would get to collect a meaningful amount of data and break it down. (laughs) It's just, it's amazing. One last comment, I guess. I wanted to talk about community because it's important to me and I wanted to get it in as we're talking about kind of the real impact of, of some of the people side of this. I just wanted to make sure that this moment didn't pass by. The word community, you're right, is so thrown around and so used in the gaming world, mostly for the benefit of the person or the streamer 
or whatever, they don't really do it in a way that is for the benefit of you, the listener, the participant. There's lots of people who use their community to promote themselves and really just enrich themselves. And what we've tried to do here is create something that is for you, that's different, a different type of gaming space, more mature gaming community that's not a place that is just all about people who are in it for themselves. And what this has turned into in just a year is amazing to me. And the survey results and just the stories that we were able to read really confirmed that that's what's going on in, like you said, sub pockets of the Xville community. And when we say the word community, I just want everyone to know that that is not something that we take lightly. We don't take it for granted for everyone is here spending your free time in the Xville community. And we want this to be a, a cool place to be. And as we go forward, you know, into 2021 and who knows where the Xville goes, what kind of topics we'll cover, but it's all really about us. It's not just about, you know, making the podcast, whatever. So I, I just think it was really cool and it was really awesome to read how that's developing. So I just didn't want that to pass. And now we can maybe get into some lighter stuff because there definitely was some <laughs> funny stuff. And uh, what, <laughs> what do we got? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's the next step, right? When you observe and see and make real friendships within a community or just in general, I think one of the like best indicators that that has been successful is for people to like poke fun at each other, right? And and just make jokes and and send those jabs across the table. And so like you said, there was a lot of people that told us who they were, which was really cool. But one of the funniest things that kept coming up over and over in the survey was people were telling us who they were not. <laughs> It's not that they weren't telling us who they were, but there were like dozens of cases of people saying, this is not insert name here. These inside jokes that we aren't even quite aware of were hilarious. And I think it was done in the event that we release like release the data. There, unfortunately, the way we set this thing up, there's no way for us to like release it in a non-anonymous way. If we do stuff like this going forward, we can do better on the survey but this was the first shot at it and it just exploded and there's no going back when you don't set it up right but i can't tell you how many of these came in as i was reading through and documenting some of the stuff that just had me like just dying laughing just because of the jokes that or and just the jabs that were being shot in that final paragraph it was absolutely hilarious you know and we had comments come in like where we asked to do the kill death calculation and the PMC kill death calculation people <laughs> somebody responded sorry i'm bad at math like unwilling to to do the calculation right so like that stuff was just amazing and while i'm talking about the kill death calculation you know we didn't want to make this thing so complex but for those of you that pointed out that, yes, you can't tell how you died, whether it was a scav, a raider, a PMC, or you jumped off of too high of a ledge, and, and factoring those deaths into the PMC calculation, it was not a perfect measure, but we wanted to have it done in the same way for everybody so that we at least had a consistent formula in the results. We know it wasn't perfect, but there was no other way to have those two kill death numbers without having some sort of inaccuracy in there. So yeah, we were aware of it, but um, <laughs> we appreciate the feedback on it. it. It made me chuckle how many times that came up because again, it's it's not a negative thing. You guys were passionate enough about it to want to give the right data to see that and recognize the same thing we did in the calculation just speaks to how authentic this data really is. So very, very much appreciate that. I guess the last light thing that, <laughs> that I wanted to bring up was we, we talked about the essays we got, but the final section that was freeform uh, was absolutely fascinating because I learned about playstyles that I wasn't even aware of. We have pockets, segments of gamers that they may not even know each other. But we had multiple people talk about how they are ethical players. They didn't all use that terminology, but there are people that play. And when they wrote out their kill death ratio, they made sure to tell us on the back end, like, I do not kill other scabs as a scab. And when I'm a PMC, I try to avoid them 
There are ethical players. There are people that take killing other players seriously and only shoot when they have to. That's not some that's not the way I would ever play, but it was fascinating to read that. There are people that only log in to play in five-man squads running military or military-esque tactics. Meaning they're not in it for ruble count, they're not in it for kills, they are in it for an exercise, a mental exercise. And Tarkov is a wonderful landscape for that. We have tons of players that do that. And we also heard of tons of people who were not very proud of their stats because <laughs> because they started loot running for fun. Or there was a set of tasks that just absolutely obliterated them and the they just ran it over and over and over and beat down that brick wall because they were trying to help their friend or get something done or whatever. So again, it all comes back to amazing data, super fun, and just some hilarious stuff in the comments. And we just, we really appreciate that. So I know that was a relatively long intro. We wanted to say thanks because the amount of time represented in the surveys we received and the effort that was put in is an extraordinary amount of time that you all put in for us to be able to look at this stuff. So again, we do that because I wanted to say thank you. But we want to jump into stash value, right? And this is one question of the 19. I want to frame this by saying, again, guys, like this caused me to start thinking about like all of these crazy questions. Like, well, geez, look at the crazy varied response here. Like, what does stash value really mean? Why is it so varied? Does it even matter, right? <laughs> is there a better way to determine a PMC's worth, right? All of that stuff started coming up here. And I'm like, okay, how can I use this to get better at the game? Does it matter? That's kind of stuff. When we started getting into this, you know, there's all kinds of statistical analysis you can do to it. And it's, it's fascinating, right? So the average stash value in the Xville community was 50,752,587. The reason that's super interesting is the numbers are all over the place. And there is a tremendous amount of people that didn't know their stash value that were one to five million. And then there is a smaller segment of people that have 300,000, 400,000, five massive, massive stash value. Um, I think the largest one that we reported was 683 million in stash value, right? And that person said they're going for the billion stash value goal, which is crazy. It's awesome, right? So they're almost seven tenths of the way there. But the average is just a really challenging number to use because it's not representative of the graph. We have one person that had 683 that's offsetting dozens of people on the bottom of it. So as we're looking at this data and, and talking about that number, 50 million is not representative of the average player. It's just, it's hard to say from this one because of the varied response. Like, what do you see when you look at look at the graph here? What I see is that something interesting that I would say the bulk of the strategic or aggressive players can actually have in common. They don't necessarily have a large stash value because if you're a strategic player, you spend more time in raids. The number of raids that you complete is just less. And, it, and so then you just don't have as much money. It's not that you don't have enough, but you just don't have like 683 million worth of stash value. And if you're an aggressive player, you're dying a lot, so you're buying new kits all the time. So it's kind of interesting. That is one piece of data point where there might be some commonality across all the different ways that people play. And I think that's partially the reason why it was weighted so much in that one to like 20 million area. Now, like you said, we had some that threw the average up to 50. But if you did an analysis of, of really the bulk and, and cut away the top 10 and the bottom 10, it really landed somewhere in the 20 million range. And because of that, I, I think it's really interesting that stash value doesn't necessarily correspond to one type of play style. That'd be my first observation. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> it was actually all over the board. 
you know, and it's again, it's not a perfect slice of the player base. It's not like we took 100 PVPers, 100 people that were strategic. We don't have that here. But the stash value is is all over the place. And, and a lot of that was represented in the data at the end where someone said, my goal is to keep as few items in my stash as possible. I try to use every piece of gear I get or sell everything. And so I just focus on having liquid rubles. And so their stash value was largely liquid and the stash was empty. We had other people that just weren't motivated to play this wipe. You know, they started and finished and they've played in three or four previous wipes, you know? So they played for the first couple weeks and then it just wasn't interesting anymore. And so their stash value is what it was three months ago, right? So stash value, what does it mean? It, 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 can, mean a, it can mean something radically different to different players. The number of people that said they don't care <laughs> was also extraordinarily high. And I'm, I'm kind of in that boat, you know? I, it's one of those things that someone asks you like, What's your stash value? And it's like, okay, what did you find? <laughs> what's what's in your case? Why why are you asking? Because <laughs> you know, I look at mine, and mine is not that high because of the way that Tarkov values cases. I value cases higher than the stash value calculation. I can guarantee that because of my stash value number, which is, I think, a hundred and six million. Based on this, it's slightly higher than the average, but those cases, if they were sold, are worth way more than $106 million in just the cases. So it's an interesting number, especially depending on play style. But you're right. You said it's a consistent measure regardless of play style, but I think the impact of what it is is radically different. I mean, it exists in the game because it's an easy way to flex if you do find something. You're right. That is the only reason anybody would ever ask because you found, you know, whatever that super valuable thing is, and now you can bump your number a little bit. But aside from all of that, which is just gamer fun, right, that we all have occasionally, it is an interesting way to try to find some meaningful way to determine the result of effort. You know, stash value is, in a lot of ways, the result of effort. But you are right, there is definitely outliers in data when it comes to people who don't care about stash values, so they sell everything. But then in that particular scenario too, your ruble count's higher, right? So there's liquid count that comes into play if you're a sell everything player. If you're a use everything player, that might skew the data here a little bit because you're not going to have it in liquid rubles because you sold it, right? It's just going to end up being uh, you used it to play the game. However, it may be offset by the fact that whatever you find is going to be things that you can sell or it's going to be kept in your stash too. So there's a lot of different thoughts around the best way to try to compare effort and the result of effort. And I think overall stash value is a really interesting way to at least at a very basic level, try to wrap your mind around, okay, if you had you know, a cross-section of players, how could you even begin to do that? And since the result of a raid is an item, and what you do with that item either is held, sold, or reused, but if you reuse, then you're, def then you're not getting rid of what you found, so in a way it's a replacement in some cases. Overall stash value from a statistical point of view can be a way to do a valid comparison, and it's fun. So all that being said, it's just a fun number to take a look at. <laughs> right, it, it is fun. It is fun because at the end of the day, we can poke holes in the system all day long, right? Like my preferred play style does not show up in the stash value. It just doesn't. I collect cases. I like to load the cases with things. And it's all based on the sell rate and whichever trader the sell rate is too. We all know that some of the best items in the game, the most valuable items in the game do not turn around very well, right? If you have a red labs card, you can make, I think, a couple million if you sell it to a trader, or you can sell it for tens of millions or trade it for a massive pile of stuff. Same with the green labs card, blue labs card, red rebel, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't sell well, but it's worth a lot because of what it can do for you or what it does in the game. So, you know, if you're just learning about stash value or, you know, you're the person who asks, where do I even find that number? right? It's in your character screen, it's under the summary, 
and there's a one tiny little item that in theory totals up the value of all the items in your stash plus your liquid currency and so it's a thing that you know maybe it's a good measure to be like is my stash value going up over time does that mean i'm getting better at the game Uh, and that's where that's where i start to get the boundary line the boundary line of i don't know if that's the case because you could just scav run and gain gear over and over and over and that stash value number is going to keep rising. So I think too heavy focus on just this stat for your own benefit or when comparing it to people, when you, do, when you don't take anything else into account, it's, it's not a great number for that because there's ways you can kind of make it go up and make it go up artificially as well. But more playtime is going to do that anyway. So anyway, yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. I wanted to put that in because depending on your playstyle, mine's one of them. It's not a great number to be looking at because mine regularly goes way down when I get a new case. <laughs> Which is pretty frequent until you end up with more cases than anybody should ever have. <laughs> no, 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 no. Plenty of room in the stash for more cases. It's really interesting because you are right about how when you pull items out of a raid, it can really affect your your stash value, right? Because if you end up selling them or trading those items to the traders, maybe not selling them, but trading them for a trade, right? So you're getting a different item, which the value is skewed because it's not based on flea market or market values. It's based on whatever the trader pays for it. I wonder if someone, let's let's take a player that had a relatively low stash value, but their stash is full of low-end armor, right? And, and maybe just medium guns. I mean, that's what they like to use. And there's nothing wrong with that. And they have fun playing the game versus a player who maybe doesn't go after PVP and just does likes to loot run. So their stash is full of barter items, you know, cases full of barter items, those kinds of things versus uh, an aggressive player that maybe their stash is full of high end armor and high end guns. They pull off of PMC kills that they use, right? So that's that stash value is going to be a little bit more skewed. What I find fascinating is I kind of think about the value in all three of those scenarios is they're going to be different, but I really wonder how different they would actually be because you're going to end up with cases full of stuff either way. And because it's all being sold to the traders, I just, I think that it's it's going to be pretty close in value. Like the bracket and distribution of the value is going to be pretty close. As you just said that, I was sitting here wondering if there's would be any wisdom from Battle State's point of view to break down stash value further. Because I do wonder if there is a stash value subcategory that would correlate with, I mean, and skill is a very subjective term in this game. But I wonder if there's a better subcategory of stash value that would correlate with progression in the game, right? So what if stash value was broken out by, you just had a subcategory of barter items, weapons, armor, food, beverage, I don't know, cases. Like, I wonder if there's a subcategory that's closely tied to progression that is a subcategory of the overall stash value. That's That's what you had me thinking about when you just said that. See, I really like the idea of progression. And I also, I agree with you. I I don't like the concept of saying skill because it's not really about skill. It's really about gameplay style. And skill is such a relative thing, depending upon what your personal bias is, right? So I really like the idea of progression because think about this. Think about if there was a task from say, ragman or therapist or something to get the stash value of your medical supplies to a certain number or the stash value of certain barter items that you would find in either interchange or in shoreline, right, for Peacekeeper, like where they send most of your tasks. If it was maybe not a Kappa required task, but if it was just one of those that kind of you held on to during your progression that gave you a reason to keep going back to the same place and made that gameplay experience a little bit more dynamic and interesting because you might not sell every high value thing that you get. Right. And that's this is something that I really think they're missing. And it's the tying together of the systems of in-game and out-game and really wrapping the experience up. And that is a brilliant way they could do it. Not only would it be getting 
you to check on your stats, to check on your progression, to wonder what affects it and how it does. But you're also teaching players about the rarity of items. You're teaching player the value in certain things. You're teaching player how the traders may value something versus selling it on the flea market. And that could be done with one task, literally one. And you could teach people three very critical things to understanding this game. And if that was a task that you got early on, imagine that. Imagine if you got that at level two, level one. With the flea market where it is at level 10, if there was a task that said, hey, you need to get your stash value to this, it wouldn't even need to be massive. Well, what do most players do anyway? We talked about it a few episodes ago when we answered community questions. What should I do if I find this item? Well, most players stockpile all the crap that they don't have any idea what it does in their stash. But if you focus their attention to what it's doing to their stash value, and then you let them complete a task for it and get some experience for their hoarding tendencies, that's a great system. I love that. That's a really interesting way this could go. Imagine this. Let's dream some Tarkov for a second here. What if the flea market wasn't tied to a level unlock? What if it was tied to a separate progression of stash value tasks that was designed to teach you the value of items in a small but meaningful way? And if you got through it by level three, that's fine. But if it took you to level 15 to get through it, it wouldn't be designed to do that, but that would be fine as well. But the goal would be it would teach you what you needed to keep, what you needed to get rid of. And along the way, it would say, because I'm not a fan personally. So this is just Ronald's opinion. I'm not a fan of quests that are like kill, kill a hundred times. I just, you know, so it takes you months to get one thing knocked off your log. I like getting things knocked off the task list. So instead of killing kill a hundred times, I would break that up. So instead of having one quest to say, get your stash value to X value, I would have maybe five quests in progression that would teach a different part of the economy system along the way and be under the umbrella theme of stash value. So like, for example, I'm just making this up as I go along. Let's say you have interchange for an example. There's lots of barter items on interchange. So you're going to find a lot of things there and you don't know what to keep, right? Because until level 10, and if you don't have EOD, your stash is just stuffed and you're just totally right. We get people sending us screenshots all the time. What do I keep? I don't have any room. I have no idea what to do. Instead of having that be the way that everyone plays until the flea market's unlocked, what if you had four or five tasks that taught you the value of barter items along the way and then introduced you into the stats system of Tarkov in your overall screen and they started to break out the value of these different subsections of barter items, armor, guns, those kinds of things, and maybe even broke out the barter items by what the traders specialize in. So the quests were designed to get you to understand what the traders specialize in buying because people don't know where to sell things, right? So it's like, we get these questions all the time. Should I sell it to fence? No, don't sell anything to fence, right? Do I sell it to skier? Do I sell it to mechanic? What do I do, right? And there's all opinions on that, whatever. It's mostly about today, about who's hardest to unlock rep and uh, dollar amount with. But what if there was in-game tasks, this whole system that taught you about what each trader really specialized in? I don't know. It's just a crazy idea. It's not crazy. I, From an accessibility standpoint, I love the concept because I'm not convinced that just time gating the flea market at level 10 is the right way. And I'm also not sure that removing that is good either. But somewhere in the middle, right? A couple things you said really jump out to me. One of them was taking the subcategories and breaking them out and teaching the player how to sell weapons or maybe that they can make more money by parting a weapon out and selling some parts here, some parts there. That kind of thing could be done in that system. But maybe they could, rather than have the progression of the flea market, which right now is it unlocks at level 10, and then when you sell boatloads of stuff, you get extra selling slots. I mean, we could take the idea you have and and make that even more of a accessibility unlock, but also some time gating in that maybe they you know, weapon selling or the weapon stash value and that statistics screen. And once you do those 
couple of tasks, it unlocks your ability to sell weapon parts on the flea market, right? That section of the flea market opens up after you've proven your ability to gather those items, to sell them correctly, or sell them in the appropriate amount. And again, what I'm trying to find here are solutions that would help the beginner learn and don't punish existing players. And I think that sort of system could do that because if you already know where to get high value items, if you already know where on the map you can go get high value barter items or you know you know where you can go loot AKs or you can loot a P90 and and get it and part it out and sell it, this isn't going to take much time. In fact, it would unlock the flea market probably quicker than the current time gate at level 10 for a very experienced player, but unlock it faster for an inexperienced player, thus closing that gap and letting the system be used while teaching players what they need to know to get in. So I think from an accessibility standpoint, that is a fantastic idea, and it could be molded whatever way they need to prevent RMT, to prevent abuse, to teach what needs to be taught, and to not punish existing players. I think there's room for development in that. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think about the gunsmith task line when I think about this concept and what the gunsmith task line is meant to teach you and what it actually teaches you. It's meant to teach you about different parts on guns and what it actually teaches you is how to use the Tarkov wiki effectively. In-game, it's just not serving its purpose. I like systems that have this idea of teaching you how other systems work in an MMO. And I think they're onto something. But what if Mechanic had a task that wasn't tied to high value? It was tied to procedural things. Like, for example, what if the task was at level one, you get a task to break down five guns. All you have to do is disassemble five guns and sell five guns worth of parts. And it's not about finding weird, obscure gun parts. What it's about is teaching you that you can disassemble a gun. What if Mechanic had a task in the gun theme? What if Mechanic had a task that you had to repair your gun five times? How many people playing Tarkov today don't know that you have to repair your gun? I bet you there's a ton of them, right? How many people know that after about 500 to 1,000 rounds, somewhere in there, through a gun, it's going to be wildly inaccurate, and you have no idea that that's even a thing in Tarkov? And what if the task system was not meant to punish existing players? Like, I really like that you said that because... Tasks like this should not be things that existing players find so inconvenient that the game is not fun. They should be things that existing players are like, oh yeah, I just breeze through all that. It's not a big deal. Right. But a new player finds such value in doing it that they're like, at the end of it, they're like, okay, so I have never played Tarkov. This took me maybe an hour or two to get through these initial kind of tasks. But man, I understand now a base procedure, base systems, uh, how the game functions. And I'm just taking a narrow focus on guns, but that's kind of my mind. Like I envision the need in this game for the game to teach a little bit about what they've done in that area and they could possibly do it in that way. Right. And wrapping it all back to stash value, right? The original graph, the average, everything we were talking about, the reason the flea market and some of these things exist are to gate RMTers out. Stash value is a wonderful tool that if you tied some progression and unlocking this stuff behind it, if you can't get to it without playing a little bit of the game, that (laughs) does a lot to prevent some of that issue. Not completely, I know. But again, it's there's just opportunity for development on this. And and before we get completely off of it, and I know this isn't related to stash value, but I think it's an important thing to talk about. You brought up not liking like the kill a task. I want to know why right? You said that it's because you like wiping it off the task screen. And it may just be as simple as that, that it's always there. But I'm curious if there's more to that, why you don't like that particular one or why you named that one in particular. For the amount of effort that it takes to kill Killa a hundred times, I find the experience to be completely unrewarding. And with Tarkov, there is a balance between reward and between time invested. And most of Tarkov is not fun. It's rewarding. And there's a very big difference between that. Fun games are meant to just be things that you don't have to think about. You can just have fun playing it like a phone game or something, right? You know, whatever. When you play a game that's rewarding, 
it can be fun, but mostly what it's about is accomplishing something. And I think that what I find to be completely uninteresting about killing Killa 100 times specifically, if we want to bring that up as a task, is that the amount of time invested to get there for someone like me is so impractical to do. It's just something I'm not interested in doing. If I'm going to be totally frank with everybody, those tasks were put in the game to give the streamer something to do so they don't quit playing the game before the wipe's over. That's just my opinion. That's why I think they exist. Those tasks were put in for the people that play Tarkov for 40 hours a week to have something to do and something to stream and content to create. And I just find that to be completely uninteresting for the average Tarkov player like me. I think you're probably right on why they initially got developed. The reason I asked it was because I think it's a simple solution in my mind, and I welcome holes being poked in it uh, by you, by anybody. But I look at that kill a task as something that, to be honest with you, I have the time uh, where I could go after that. But that would completely negate my ability to play other games to edit videos, to create guides, right? So even as someone you and I create, that that represents a huge pocket of time that would take weeks and weeks and weeks to do. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I actually think that the kill a task being in the game is a really good thing. I think it's just slightly misrepresented and it should have its own tab and there should be a tab for achievements. We've talked about that before, but that one in particular, when you said it, it came up and I'm like, it's an achievement task, right? And you put it in a task log and it sits there and you're right. There's a lot of people that are going to get that and they're never going to complete it because it is an achievement. It's not a task. It's an achievement. It has a reward tied to it. There's some prestige with it. And I think from that standpoint, it's a phenomenal thing to put in the game. But what what I'd like to see them do with that is rather than putting in the task list, put that into an achievement list and make the achievement list persistent, meaning wipe to wipe to wipe, the achievement list goes on. Because you talked about the difference between rewarding and fun. Having tiered achievements, kill kill a once, kill kill a 10 times, kill kill a 100 times, kill kill a 1000 times. If they put an achievement tab and that just kept tracking over time, over time, over time, and then six wipes from now, all of a sudden you got the achievement pop up that you killed Killa 100 times and you can now wear the upper suit of his track suit in any wipe from now and forever. That is a persistent tracker that could take a seasonal game right now and make it somewhat persistent going forward. And again, you don't punish the players that have already done it because they would get credit towards it for how many times they've done it. And you give something for somebody who plays this game till level 25 each wipe and spends just a few hours a week playing something that they could actually work towards over time and get that sense of fun, get that sense of accomplishment. And there are so many things that you could do that with. Not just Killa, not just Sherman. Imagine if it tracked barter items looted, value of items looted, and it just gave you these stacked things. I know not everybody's interested in achievements, and there's games that have achievements that people don't care about, but for the person that likes that and doesn't have the time or doesn't want to invest the time in killing Killa a hundred times, I think there's a better way for them to implement achievements rather than putting them in as tasks that refresh every single wipe. Meaningful treadmills are staples in the MMO persistent community. And they are also staples in some very well-established seasonal FPS games. Basically, if it's a seasonal game, it has to be something that doesn't necessarily impact your power. It has to be mostly appearance-based. If it's persistent, it's about creating a legacy for your character that spans multiple revisions in the way the game design happens, right? So it's about saying, I've been playing this game for X years, and here's all of my stuff that I have achieved playing the game. The reason why right now the kill 100, the reason why killing Killa 100 times is neither of those things <laughs> is because it's redundant as a task. You already have to do it as the scab bosses to get Kappa. You need to kill them. And it wasn't in the game until people who played all the time complained about having nothing to do. To me, it just seems like a cheap task 
put in as a way to stop the bleeding for some of the most vocal people in the Tarkov community from being uninterested in the game. And I just, I don't like stuff like that. It's just a personal opinion of mine. I like meaningful game design. I don't like game design that's reactionary. And so that's why I find that uninteresting. And that's why I've said consistently the entire time we've been doing the podcast, I find the task system largely uninteresting in Tarkov. And it's because it's not designed in a way that creates an immersive experience. It's designed in a way to keep you playing Tarkov in random ways. It's not really a I would call it a cohesive progression system of getting better or even doing things that are interesting. It's just kill a bunch of people with a Mosin. Okay, take the scope off the Mosin. Okay, put the scope on the Mosin. Okay, go run around with this. Go do that. And all those things are fun for run and gun FPS players. And I find some of them fun, but I really don't find the whole task system to be overly meaningful. And we'll get into that in another episode. But to answer the question, this that type of task kill Killa a hundred times when it's redundant already, because I've killed Killa as, as far as the task progression system goes, and it does nothing because it gets reset as soon as the wipe gets reset, is a waste of time. And that's why I think that it doesn't exist for someone like me, and I fully admit that. Again, like even for someone like me that has high play time, the amount of time to put into that for the minor and temporary reward that it gives it just doesn't matter to me i've killed killa dozens of times i don't need a jacket to tell me that i know how to do it and that's just the way i look at it now there's some players that want that suit and it's not taking away their respect for doing it someone that grinds that out i know how much time that takes i know what it takes to do that and i respect that and i think it's great if that's something you want to do but i would be really curious to know how many people have completed that this wipe and last wipe. Because to your point, I think not only was it redundant anyway, I don't believe that that task was designed to be done twice by anybody. It's, I mean, the number of players that have completed that twice has to be minuscule. I mean, less than 100 maybe. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing that twice. And that's why I think it's an achievement. I think it was designed to be done one time. Right. And this is where this whole thing goes. Right. We're talking about stash value. Right. Do you guys see how challenging this is? Like, we started with one stupid graph. And it's not stupid. I'm just saying, like, this is what happens to us. We start talking about one thing and it's like, we get everywhere. And that's why it turns into game design because we're now we're talking about achievements and whatever else. But, but my point in saying that is it feels to me like they added that in the game with a persistency in mind. And that's why I like it, because I want this game to be persistent. They designed that to be done once, whether it's a task or an achievement, and that suggests persistency, which is why I like the task. I don't like doing it right now because the game isn't persistent. There's nothing carrying over unless I record it, take a screenshot of it, tell 50 people about it, whatever, right? And so the current iteration of it, not a big fan. I respect it for those who've done it, but to me, it says they have designed that task to be done once for it to not be redundant so that when you get it done, you check it off and you never do it again. And that's what I want. I want persistency out of this game. So I like it and I don't all at the same time. Thank you, Stash Value, for making me think about all this. And wrapping this all kind of back to Stash Value, it would be really interesting if the game was persistent and there was things appearances, tasks, whatever. Think about that tied around stash value. If there's an entire section of the game tied around stash value, you might actually care about it a little bit more. You know, but there's so many systems in Tarkov and we're I'm looking forward to getting into so much of this over the next coming weeks. But stash value is a system that has quite a bit of potential to become much more than just a number that you look at occasionally when you open up your stat screen. And I think that if Battlestate can start to focus on systems and focus on what could be done and how it affects every type of player, stash value could be used to create play design, game design that could be very meaningful and engaging and it could be done in ways like we just scratched the surface of some of the crazy ideas we had in this hour that we have, you know, to talk about this particular topic. I'm excited to get into future topics. Uh, and, and I'm really excited that 
stash value made me think about Tarkov in a very meaningful way. Yeah, I agree. You know, and it's like I, now my brain's just moving, right? So I'll leave you with the thought. I'm not going to flesh it out. And if anybody wants to chime in on these things, make sure you do it in the uh, feedback sections or the description or the comments. But the last thing you said there made me think about like just developing stash value a little further, not only breaking it down in subcategory, but what if we had things like stash value gained by hideout crafts, stash value gained by bartering, by doing trades, stash value gained from scav, stash value gained from PMC raids. Just simply expanding this could give so much insight into play style and to help a player look at what they're doing and what's creating the money flow, right? For somebody who's gaining most of their stash value through scaving, if it's shown in your screen, you you may decide to change your path or you may like that. You may realize you're really good at scav running to get your money and that's okay. That's how I got my hideout maxed. This wipe really fast was my scab. So anyway, really fun conversation. As we continue to unpack more of these, we'll also relate back to the other topics because, you know, when we get to survival rate and when we get to kill death ratio, some of the stash value correlations to that may be impactful in those conversations. So we're starting here very intentionally, and you'll hear anything we talk about come back up and it'll be woven in. So expect that, know it. But um, man, I know uh, <laughs> I know that I just sprinted and jumped over that guardrail into the exfil. So you know what time it is. That green bar is starting to flash, which means we've just unlocked the cellar door and we're about to get out with all of that sweet, sweet Chad loot. But before we do, before we do, I want to say thank you to everybody for checking out the show. And thank you again to everyone who filled out the surveys. This is going to be a fun series and it will be a series. So make sure you keep checking out the different parts. We'll label it on the title or in the description, probably in the title part one. And we'll we'll try to make the make it pretty obvious which shows of this series are part of this series. So you can always find me on Discord at Ronald. You can tag me in uh, any one of the channels or send me a DM, whatever. We're checking Discord pretty much all day long, and that's our primary means for talking with everybody. You can always talk to us in comment sections of whatever your preferred platform is, especially on YouTube. If you leave a comment, we do read every one of the comments on YouTube and respond to a good majority of them. Thank you to the folks who have been commenting on YouTube. We've had some great interaction, great conversations on YouTube. Please keep it up. It's always fun to check out people there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Ronald Gaming. And if you'd like to talk to me live, I hang out a couple times a week in MTB Trigger's Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash mtbtrigger. We just have some good time, talk about the whatever's going on with uh, Trigger, whatever he is uh, shooting at at that day, or playing Diablo 2 the, the today, which was, which was pretty fun to watch. So whatever random stuff, just hang out and talk games. It's a good time. If you have something more formal you'd like to get to the show, the business contact for all of XP Media is xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. Yeah, like Ronald said, you can find me on Twitch three or four times a week. I uh, stream on MTB Trigger on Twitter and Twitch. But yeah, on Twitch, you can find me playing PUBG. You can find me playing Tarkov in anticipation of Diablo 2 Resurrected, one of my all-time favorite games who started a solo self-found playthrough that I'm going to stream whenever I can. And we'll probably throw that up on YouTube in a series as well. But we're playing a sorceress through Diablo 2 and just, just getting back into that game. Excited for that new release. So. Come hang out. Doesn't matter what we're playing. There's always a bunch of people there. So come on by. This is your invitation to do so. But yeah, Twitch, Twitter, MTB Trigger. You can find me in those places and DM me on Discord as well. Feel free. Well, that's about it. Join Discord. Join the community. Remember, community means something different to the XFIL. So come hop on in, join a group, have some fun playing, talk about games, whatever. It's a pretty good time. It's pretty active. It's getting larger and larger every day. You can always find the show on a variety of audio platforms. If you're listening to on Spotify or iTunes or Google or Pandora or Deezer or any one of the audio platforms, we're pretty much everywhere. If there's a place you'd like to have the show, just let us know. We've posted it many different places based on where people like to listen to. In the survey, 
You told us where you listen to the show. It's amazing to me how many different places podcasts are posted, but it's great that we are all there for you. If you'd like to watch the show, it is up on YouTube at youtube.com slash xpmedianow. We'd love it for you to check out the YouTube channel, leave some comments, and if you like what you see, click the like button, subscribe to it, and click the notification because occasionally we do go live with some live raids. Trigger will stream on Twitch and I stream on YouTube so you can see both sides of the raid at the same time. It's a pretty good time. But besides that, we look forward to getting into the rest of this series. And for the rest of this week, good luck in whatever you're doing. We hope you have a good time in all of your raids and hanging out with your friends in the Xville Discord. We'll catch you next time. See you guys. Thank you.